Hey, it's Dr. Lisa, and it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. Hey, I give a shit. So we've got a lot going on today. Uh, to get started, I wanted to tell you about this fundraiser I'm doing. I'm doing it for Radio Free Bro- Brooklyn, and I'm doing it from the Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit show. Shit show is right. Um, so anyway, it's going to be July 7th. From 7 to 9 at Tradesman, which is 222 Bushwick Avenue. And it's going to be the Selfie Help Festival. uh, Dedicated to people who want to feel good about themselves without working too hard. So this festival is for you. We're going to have all sorts of positive reinforcement. Like a licensed therapist. Mr. Compliment Man. A grandma that will give you unconditional love idealized portraits of you, and so much more. Anyway, I'm looking forward to it because it sounds like a hell of a lot of fun, and I know it's going to be. So anyway, uh, what I wanted to talk about today is uh, something to do with the fact that it's gay pride. Well, it's not just gay pride. Let's see if we can get him on the phone. Is he here? Ori? I'm here. Oh, good. Okay, so I'm really excited because our guest today is Ori Gibbons IV. Um, He's also... (laughs) I got the whole name in there, Ori. So I'm just really excited because, you know what? This is a really big moment for me because of the technology and it's working. And I was a little nervous about that. I haven't actually had a phone. I'm having a new experience and I just have to own it. Okay. Because, um, I usually do this show with the other person sitting right there, but I just have, I have to imagine you, I, but I have a picture of you. I want you to know that I'm looking at this picture of you. Yeah. <laughs> and you're in a suit. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Let people believe that. Yeah. Is that is that like your uh I'm at work, I'm on a professional suit? Yeah, I think that's my like my my journalism headshot, like I'm your six o'clock news person headshot. But yeah, it's in the library, so it kind of yeah. looks weird. Well, I think it's really good for mo- the image of my show because I think I pretty much um, come off as a crazy disaster. So if somebody with your sense of authority uh, and look of authority is on the show, I think it's really good for my image. So it's making me <laughs> feel good. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, Ori, I want... Okay, here's how it's going to go, Ori. I want you to um, explain who you are and what your show on the radio on Radio Free Brooklyn is a little bit. But um, mostly, I want people to know that the reason I invited you and I'm very thrilled that you were available to be on the show today is because one of the things that Dr. Lisa gives a shit tries to do is to create a sense of emotional awareness in all of us, individually, culturally, in every way. Mm-hmm. And this week, um, I got, you know, I had a feeling, I had a feeling of shame. That's what I want. That's what I want to put out there. I want you to know that, Ori. I had a feeling of shame. And the reason I felt this was because I thought that, um, let me just put it to you this way. I realized, before we get into it, I realized that I take for granted, um, 
my feelings, my sense that uh, gay LBG2QUR people um, feel okay in our society. Marriage is legal and things are normal for them and they don't feel left out or threatened or, or you know, in the way, but I'm, it, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of an idiot about it. I'm a little naive. And I felt um, if I don't realize that, then uh, Jesus, can you imagine all the people that don't even want to realize that, that don't realize that? So I want to learn from you today. I want to have this discussion. But before we do, why don't you uh, introduce, tell us the details about yourself? Because I have like a whole page here and I'll just read it and, and no one will really get any of it. So go ahead. Well, sure. It's, it's kind of complicated. But basically, um, I am a journalist and reporter that writes and reports on the intersectionality of uh, the LGBT community, race, culture, and identity. So all of those things that you talked about, those feelings and emotions that people are processing, are kind of my wheelhouse. It's kind of what I examine as a part of my reporting. And as a part of that, I run a LGBT-focused uh, radio network called Radio Queer Minded. Um, we operate two shows in the U.S., and one of them is Queer State of Mind, which is live every Saturday from 12 to 2 on Radio Free Brooklyn. And Queer State of Mind is very much like, if you took, like, the Kathy Lee and Hoda hour <laughs> awesome. and put, like, four, like, three or four black gay men and other random members of the LGBT community, and they drank vodka, mm. that's what you would, you know, that's what you get. It's, it's a good time. We talk a lot about important issues, but we also have a lot of fun for a lot of shit. Great. I mean, I'm, um, g- I'm going to crash the studio. Oh, you should. You should I'm totally going to crash it. I, really? That would be fun to hang out with you guys. So, when is well, it again? Be, it's Saturdays from 12 to noon, and we love mimosas. And I know okay. that we're going to be doing a segment coming up probably towards August where we talk about um, health and wellness in the LGBT community. Oh, so really? I'd love to have you come on. Yeah. Really? That would Very be awesome. Topic. Oh, Very that would. Topic. Oh, look at that. I got an invitation. I already got rewarded for just yes. for just having you on the show. I love it. So anyway, and you know what? When you speak a little closer to the phone, you sound like almost like you're right here in front of me. I'm beginning to feel like I'm feeling your presence. Yeah. Uh, anyway. This is really weird because usually, you know, I'm a host too. So right. we just started using the phone technology a couple of weeks ago. I know. Board. And uh, so this is weird to be on the other side of it. I know, but it's very exciting for me because yeah. I feel like I've, I've accomplished something just by getting you on the phone and getting this conversation started. Oh, yeah. Um, but I did get yeah. to meet you in person. I remember you very well from the last uh, Radio Free Brooklyn meeting because you spoke oh, up. Yeah. <laughs> you spoke up and you had a lot of smart things to say. I remember. I so, was very black in that meeting. That you happened. were very black. More <laughs> black than gay. I don't yeah, even think yeah. I even realized you were gay until I left, which is part of um, what I wanted. I wanted to point out my point of view um, about this whole situation as far that the Orlando shootings brought up for me about how I feel about gays my awareness of the gay uh, mentality, gay community. And then um, also I wanted to focus on how the media is um, inseminating. Is that a real word? Um, or is that just a, uh, is that I mean, just dirty I mean, talk? It is a word. I think it works in that. I, I feel yeah. that. Yeah. Disseminating, disseminating oh, um, yes. uh, the image of uh, gays, 
ISIS, terrorists, and uh, all that other stuff that they managed to like put such a uh, skewed vision vision version of out there. So anyway, um, there were a couple things. So on Sunday, it was Sunday the twelfth when the shooting happened. I was actually working that day. But I just digested that as a totally mentally ill lunatic um, with a gun. And it wasn't, it was horrid on every level, but I just took it for that, just that simply, just a crazy person with a gun in this country. And um, later in the week, I was hanging out, just me and um, a gay friend of mine, and I began to understand how upset and how personally um, this 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 act figured for him as a gay person, which is something that I hadn't thought about because, you know, I live in Brooklyn and I'm cool and everyone that I know that's gay, well, I don't even think about it. So what's the big deal? And But it is, I'm getting. And then also um, a friend of mine, a straight female, posted that um, this Orlando shooting is a hate crime and it's being treated like an act of terrorism. And then once again, that was a couple of days later, I started thinking, wow, I really, really don't know what's going on here. I mean, I don't feel it. I know what's going on, but I need to understand it. And that's why we're having this chat, Ori. Um, just a couple more things before we really get into it. I just wanted to say that not only um, is it... Uh, you know, distracting or misrepresenting the uh, gay issue and the social issues around being not hetero. Um, it also is really bad for mental illness because this the shooter, everything about him, if you read anything about his psychology as a child, he is just a classic um, psychopath that you could predict um, he just fits in with every other mass shooter that's simply a crazy person. Um, he also had gay issues. It's coming out now, which I had suspected at the time. The guy, actually, the shooter had a gay lover. So it is definitely somebody who's not comfortable being gay, who's probably gay. And... Um, Anyway, I think that there's a lot of uh, I w- I just want to get this whole this this whole thing uh, straightened out. Well, it's complicated. It is it is very complicated, and I think one of the big things that you kind of talked uh, around and talked about is that there are many different perspectives on how this is being viewed, and because of you know that idea of intersectionality, you know those labels that we all carry and the impact of those labels and how we interact with the world. You know, we view what happened in Orlando differently, and then we process the information that's happened over the past, you know, several days. It's been, what, 11 days mm-hmm. now. Um, we process that information differently. Right. So, you know, from my perspective, when I woke up, you know, we, we had just got done celebrating Brooklyn Pride. Um, so it was a huge, you know... Pride celebration in mm-hmm. Brooklyn. We were a part of it as Radio Free Brooklyn and Queer State of Mind. So we were coming off of this big queer high. Like it was just, you know, everything was rainbows right. and sprinkles and sparkles and happiness. And then right. you wake up the next morning to literally the worst possible thing you can imagine. Mm. 
not only as a as a as a person as a, as American, you know, because we identify it on that level, mm-hmm. but as a queer person, as a gay person, mm-hmm. as a person of color mm-hmm. specifically, and we can't ignore the fact. One of the big pieces is, you know, one of the big things that I have been trying to make sure that I, I carry in my reporting um, for various outlets, and and also, you know, when we talk about it on the show, is that a lot of these people were Latino, Latino, Latinx people. Mm-hmm, they right. were majority Puerto Rican, but there were many people with many different races there. There were gay people. There were not gay people. There mm-hmm. were trans people. There were cisgender people. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, one of the most heartbreaking stories that I heard out of Orlando was the story of Brenda McCool, who was a woman who had deep cancer twice oh my and God. was just having a night out with her son who was gay and his friends. And in an act of protecting her son, she took two bullets and lost her life. Mm, I think. So, mm, you yeah. know, imagine yeah. the grief of that son, you know, and how he's processing this. Processing this. So it's so many layers. Bad. And I think we have gotten to the point where we're so used to putting grief in a box and saying we all should process things in these ways. And, you know, as Americans, we should believe this or as LGBT people, we should feel this or as gay people, we should feel this or as black people, we should feel this. But you can't compartmentalize yourself like that. Right. You can't isolate those identities and evaluate the world. As a person that tries to do that as a part of my job, it is very difficult. Right. I'm not, I'm not saying, I mean, I think that, you know, people are going to process it in whatever way, whatever way they do. You know, people who live in the neighborhood, they're going to think of it, that's my neighborhood. Um, You know, I mean, that's absolutely, you know, I, I see that, but what, what, um, what I'm thinking is that the way that it was presented, the way like Obama, who I actually really, uh, he's my favorite president ever, personally, I'll just say that. But I mean, he, the, you know, I took this headline out of the New York Times from the 12th, Obama decrees Orlando, Orlando shooting as an act of terror. Uh-huh. And so when I'm, I'm just trying to like parse out what the media does and um, so what we all, what we imagine is we relate that, I, you know, the way I see it anyway, is we relate that right back to 9-11. And mm-hmm. that's bad for uh, Muslim immigrants, all sorts of immigrants. It's really, and you look into it, it's just a really sick psychopath with some gay issues on top of it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um well- so I think that's an interesting point too. Um, you know, this is an election year, mm-hmm. right? and this is an election year right now. Oh, I'm not sure if it's still going on right now, but for the past day, the Democrats have been sitting on the floor of the House. Um, I know it's so great. Been a sit-in for gun control. I mean, it's great that it's a sit-in for gun control. I don't know if I agree necessarily with the bills, but that's a whole different topic for right. the show. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is this, like you said, this is a hate crime against LGBT people. This was a gay club. And, you know, although I think that gun control measures are important, I feel like this issue, and many people in the community feel like this issue has been hijacked from the very beginning um, Mm -hmm. for gun control and anti-terrorist activity, which is further, you know, which is further punishment to communities of color, especially our queer Muslim communities that feel that brunt. Well, I'm going to disagree with you on this a little bit. Because um, I think that gun control and getting hands guns um, out of the hands of crazy people 
um, is um, a broader, I would say that's a broader topic or a broader right. need than any specific group. Um, mm -hmm. So gun control, I'm, you know, gun control affects all of us. I mean, obviously, I think all of us the same. I mean, there were a lot of wealthy, uh, you know, there are a lot of wealthy people, a lot of wealthy, you know, Wall Street people killed in 9-11. I mean, it affects everybody. But the thing that I'm really trying to drill down about is, like, um, how do – this is how I see um, perhaps uh, what it's like to be gay or what gay or LG whatever, what people go through. Um, it's sort of like in – when I go through being a woman, right – um, I feel discriminated against um, quite often, as particularly in the work, you know, in the workforce, in a corporate environment. But I feel like um, it's very, it's very hidden and under the surface. And I've even gotten in arguments with my husband, who ha has also worked in the same environment, and he doesn't see it at all. And I'm wondering if my gay friends and, you know, LGBT whatever, uh, friends are th like, am I not sensitive to them in ways that I don't even, that I'm not aware of? Do you think so? I mean, I sure am, uh, I bet. And I wanted to short, know. The short answer is yes. Um, mm -hmm. because again, of that intersectional nature and identity mm -hmm. and how we not only process, but store information, and, uh, you know, throughout the course of our lives. You know, I'm always mm -hmm. on Facebook, and I know we've become Facebook friends just recently, but I apologize in advance for all the craziness that you will see on my Facebook. I'll be on that. I love it. It's a shit uh -huh. show. But, um, Good. Okay, I'm the, there. The, uh, the, the interesting thing about it is that we do, I do get to see how these intersections affect so many parts of, of what people say and do and think. And as a person that does live at a lot of intersections, but, you know, I'm mm -hmm. not a trans woman or a trans man. Right. So I can't necessarily, you know, understand what life is like for them on a daily basis. And so sometimes that yields education for me. You know, I've never had to struggle with the idea of how I'm presenting in the same way. Now, you know, there's always those things when you're growing up, you know, LGBT that, you know, you're a little bit different. But, you know, the violence that some people in our community face and that some people in our community see um, that I don't necessarily see um, is really important to know. And I think the first step, you know, is just understanding that, yeah, um, just like your husband may not be able to see things the same way you do because he's not a woman and he just doesn't process the world mm -hmm. through that lens. Mm -hmm. You may not be able to see the same things that your LGBT friends see um, mm -hmm. because you don't process through that lens. Yeah. And we, as LGBT people, don't even see the same things as others in the LGBT community see them. Right. You know, it's a whole different spectrum. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, you can't obviously, I mean, and do you think it's even fair that LGB, all those people um, with different sexualities get thrown into one group? Is that even fair? Yeah. That is in a debate that is happening right now in our culture, uh, Dr. Lisa. It's something that we are as a as a group of communities, and I, you know, I I, I like to try, although it's it's changing, you know, it's hard to do. I like to try to say LGBT communities instead of community, but that's you know 
changing language is difficult. But it is something that we are absolutely discussing. There have been a lot of pieces being about a trans, different letters. Yeah, being a trans, like, being a trans person and being, like, a gay man, gay white man, those must be really different experiences. They're, they're dynamically different experiences, or they could be dynamically similar. Because you could be a trans person who still is gay in sexual identity. Um, and, you know, we, you have different conflations of sexuality and gender identity, so much so that we don't even have names or terms for all of them anymore. Sure. We're still coming up with new ways to kind of identify how these different things interrelate for a given person. And people are even, you know, abandoning them all. That's why you see queer and gender queer and, and you know, gender nonconforming. Um, right. You know, it, because of all these different labels. I think we're all beginning to understand how sexuality is on a spectrum, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, we're all a little bit this or a little bit that. So um, is there a term for that? Is that what you're talking about? Like, what, is like is, uh, I mean, is there a way to... Like, I'm on the phone with, I'm on the uh, radio with you actually right now, and I'm having, I'm struggling saying LGBTQT, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, do you think we'll ever, I mean, I guess the goal is to not have any real awareness of, not to evaluate people through their lens of sexuality whatsoever. Is that right? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a double-edged sword because you don't want to, necessarily prejudge somebody because of their sexuality or gender, but you do have to understand that sexuality and gender has absolute impact on the way a person lives their life. Well, yeah, that's they true. acknowledge it or not. So, you know, it's hard to not, it's kind of like when people say they don't see color. It's like, no, I don't want you to not see color. Right. I just don't want you to treat me differently because you see my color. Right. So it's, it's similar to that regard, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, we do, we are coming to an awareness in this country that we have to acknowledge that people aren't just male and female, and they aren't just gay or straight, or they definitely aren't just straight. And, you know, there's so many different ways that that can present itself. Well, it's actually and, in parallel to, to what's happening with race as well, because since mm-hmm. so many people, like I remember... Um, you know, in my day, it used to be a big deal, um, like for to see a gay, a gay, uh, a, a um, mixed race couple. Mm-hmm. I mean, now I don't think we think about that. I or I, I, not in my world whatsoever. And I think that people, there are so many more different kinds of immigrants and different kinds of, you know, I, races are getting mixed. So I do feel mm-hmm. like race is also on a spectrum, and that is something that Absolutely. is sort of parallel that we're we're beginning to, you know, see it as more of a, an all-encompassing thing, not just, not everyone so specific about what race they are. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're a country of, of mixed individuals. You know, we created, and we're trying to fit ourselves into these very arbitrarily created, politically created, socio-cycle created labels. You know, what does black mean? What does white mean? Well, it means what the government and what the census has said it means. And it means what our society has allowed it to mean. Right. Um, so, yeah, I would agree with you. you know, I there think... are people, especially now with kids that are, you know, a lot of people of my age are of mixed race or mixed identity. Sure. And trying to navigate those things, whether you, you, because you feel like you don't fit in one side or fit in the other, or 
you know, trying to figure out where you are in both of those communities or more than one community. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Very parallel. Um, so like one of the things I'm wondering about is when I hang out, I have a couple of very close gay male friends. So when I'm hanging out with them, just what, what do you imagine they are cautious about or they are thinking, oh, not even me personally, because, you know, I think I like to believe I'm an open-minded person, but what did, yeah. I mean, but obviously I'm not that, I mean, what do you think they might think that I'm missing? What do you think they might think? Like, say we went to um, a bunch of art openings or a party. Um, what do you think they might be thinking that, oh, I can't talk to Lisa about this or she didn't notice that guy over there or I felt really bad about, like, what do you think, what do you think that I might be missing? I just really am trying to understand. That's a good question. That's a hard question to ask. I guess I would have to follow up and say, what are the things that you do talk about with your gay friends? And then I can match it up against what I know I talk about with my women friends. Yeah. Like, why don't you just tell me, why don't you just tell me your experience? Cause I mean, you can't imagine, you don't know. I have some, I have some friends, some girlfriends that we, you know, we talk about sex, we talk about men, we talk about politics, we talk about all these different things. So I have some female friends that are very close, and I feel like there isn't anything that I would share with them. But then there are some nuances of the gay sexual experience mm-hmm. that some women tend to be kind of like, you know, and, and definitely men, definitely men, but some, even some women tend to be kind of shy away from, even though they also, you know, and I should specify straight men because they, or straight women, because they also have sex with men. Right. Um, you know, I've had some women that are really, really excited to talk about anal sex, for instance, mm-hmm. and ask me questions or oral sex and want my advice or tips. Mm-hmm. And then there are some women that don't even want to acknowledge that I do those things, like I'm an <laughs> asexual unit or something. Oh. Not that there's anything wrong with asexual people. <laughs> uh, it's a very valid identity, absolutely. I think that um, it's, it's, it's funny because we, you know, going back to kind of those intersectional relationships, I have a core group of, of black gay male friends. Um, and mm-hmm. We don't all live in the same city anymore, mm-hmm. um, but I have some here in New York. I have some back mm-hmm. in, in Columbus, and, mm-hmm. and you know, I have a network network of, of what I call my black sisters all across the country. Mm-hmm. And you know, because of Facebook, we're able to keep in contact and things like that. Um, and we talk about. I feel like we talk about the things that we just can't necessarily talk about um, in mixed company, as we you say. You mean uh-huh. because because of both those factors? See, I wasn't even factoring in that. I mean, that's two factors, right? That that's two mm-hmm. points of difference in you know being, or at least from me to you, being black, race, mm-hmm. and sexuality. But you're talking mm-hmm. about being around guys who are the same race and same sexuality. Is that what you mean? Absolutely, and you know, not to be all like you know separatist or anything like that. But when we're talking about intersectional identity, we're talking about how we view the world and how our lived experiences yeah. shape our worldview. Black gay men, black queer men um, share that worldview. So when I need to come and process, you know, something that happens to me through the day that specifically hit me as a black gay man, that's probably who I'm going to go to mm-hmm. because I don't have to explain. I don't have to necessarily mm-hmm. 
explain why that was shady because they know it was shady. Like they right. all know. Right. Um, so there must so, be a sense of intimacy um, that you feel with these people that you can't really yeah. feel with with somebody who doesn't have that, I mean, a certain kind of intimacy with them that you don't feel with other people, right? Well, I think that there are, you know, there are different ties. We have different ties with different people. And mm-hmm. so that is a tie that's specifically for that group of people that mm-hmm. nobody else can necessarily satisfy that tie. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think of my partner and who is white or my friends that are white gay men, one of my best you know, I have several gay white male friends mm-hmm. um, and we can have very deep conversations and I feel like I have very strong ties with them. Mm-hmm. So just you know, not on I, that I, specific I thing. Yeah. I don't want to say that it, it, there is more or less intimacy, but I feel like the more ties you have with a person, the more intimate your relationship will be. Well, it's easier probably. Yeah. Absolutely. So what about um, straight men? I mean, if women who um, were oppressed, so uh, I always wind up in talking on generalities because it's hard not to when you're having a discussion like this. But um, so anyway, uh, I, um, you know, I'm, I, we're repressed. I'm a repressed female. So at least I can relate a little bit to uh, a gay guy, guy. But what, what happens with um, straight men? Do you feel like, particularly straight white men, do you feel like, um, you know, like, does that, is that, do you feel repressed by them or do you feel like they're not getting it or how does that affect you? Well, it's, it's funny you, you ask mm-hmm. that because I, I just got out of a kind of a Facebook debate with somebody who I've been friends with for a while, um, you know, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And he is a straight white male married with kids and, you mm-hmm. know, our relationship has been complex. Um, and we know, you know, we were work friends and we became, you know, more close friends and things like that. And I've been in contact with him for a long time. Um, but, you know, I found that people like him are the ones that I have my most contested or heated debates with. Mm. Um, and it, you know, and I don't want to say it, you know, it's, it's more along the lines of cisgender men. Mm-hmm. I would say of, of any race. Um, cis know, meaning, for I, those of that you who don't mean, yes. no, that means hetero, right? Or no, cisgender, to define Sand. cisgender, that means that you, if a cisgender person is a person that identifies with the sex that they were assigned at birth. Oh, okay, a okay. A person who um, ah. did not or, or, or transitioned to the gender that they ah. identify with. Ah, I see. So assigned. They weren't assigned. Understand. But anyway, sorry. That just sounded well, yeah, funny. That, 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 that sounded funny. But go ahead. Well, we, I'm sorry. I don't want to interrupt time. you. No, no problem. But we, we say assigned because if you think about, you know, with, you know, and, and I'd be curious to get your insight is, um, you know, when we have somebody has a baby and that person has genitalia mm-hmm. and that genitalia is either, you know, male presenting or female presenting or you could be intersex child, mm-hmm. um, then the doctor or the nurse practitioner says this is a boy or this is a girl and Mm -hmm. you know now we have sonograms and things like that so we make that determination earlier Mm -hmm. i I assume but Mm -hmm. still that means that a person that you know was born with what looked like a penis was told that they were male 
but then as early as two or three could begin to not identify with that genitalia. Yeah. Um, so they were told that they were male, and now they feel that they're not. So that's why the term assigned. Right, right, right. Um, but back to the kind of that, you know, the theme right. of identity. So um, what, what would the arguments with your uh, cis uh, male friend be? Like, what do you guys argue, or you have more confrontational? In- well, are you are you familiar with the concept of the um, like the Bernie Sanders movement, um, and that idea that if you're not with Bernie or not with him, you're against him, you're against all these things. Yeah, yeah, and the Bernie um, Bros. The Bernie Bros. And then yeah. kind of the hashtag All Lives Matter. Right. Um, in response right. to Black Lives Matter. Right. Um, so those notions where specifically I might be talking to a man who does feel like they don't necessarily have the privilege that or, you know, the, 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 the privilege that society may have afforded to them. Mm-hmm. Um, they may feel somewhat disadvantaged. They may have experienced um, some sort of prejudice mm-hmm. in their lives. They mm-hmm. may have you know, be poor or Mm -hmm. lower income or lower education or something like that, um, Mm -hmm. which may, you know, put them in a different class ranking. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they don't necessarily see, because they see their disadvantage, they don't see how they could then be prejudiced or have biases. So it's, it's like, well, you know, everybody is put on by the system. Everybody is oppressed. So why should we all just fight together? Right. Except for the fact that we're not all oppressed in the same way. Right. And some people are oppressed because they feel like the ec- the economy is not supporting their middle class dream. Right. Some people feel oppressed because they can't walk down the street without getting heckled for their gender identity. Mm-hmm. Some people feel oppressed because they can't get a job because of their gender presentation, because they're afraid they'll get laughed at by an employer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we don't all experience oppression differently. And mm-hmm. I think... You know, it's important when I have these conversations with people that don't share those lenses or don't, Mm -hmm. you know, share that intersectional identity that I do, Mm -hmm. um, that I try to get it to them at that very basic level. Like, there are key things that because you've had this experience, you may not understand. And it's a hard sell because we want to believe that we're compassionate, empathetic people. Right. We are to a certain extent. Right. Um, but what you don't know, you don't know. Right. And that's plain and simple. Right. That's kind of where, where I'm interested. That's what I'm interested in, like, what, what can be done about that. I mean, I'm never, like, how, how do I, how do I let, like, how do I, you know, let my gay friends know, like, how do I identify with them more? How do I be more compassionate to them. What, what is it that, what can, what can we straight people do? Um, well, I think it's just going back to, you know, something that we all should do is listen. And, you know, I was you know, reporting a story um, about the whole Orlando tragedy and the responses, you know, so many people, so many activists, said to me, if we just listened more and we listened and we tried to not just see things from other people's perspective or cliche, take a walk in somebody else's shoes, but actually 
put down our own prejudices and biases and what we think we know and what we've been conditioned to believe and actually listen to the true lived experiences mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. and and learn from those realities. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it goes so far. You know, that's why a lot of people say that the, the pathway to acceptance is, is relationships and building bridges and family and, and why so many, you know, feelings were turned about marriage equality because people started to relate to LGBT people in their lives. They right. didn't see LGBT as other. These were friends. These were family members. These were right. my cousin. This is my, you know, my coworker. These well, were personal relationships. Well, I also, I also think um, gays wanting to get married in particular uh, was really you know, helpful, I mean, I don't even mean uh, intentionally, but was helpful in a certain way because I think that the public had such a stereotype of gay men wanting to, like, sleep around that the Mm -hmm. idea that it was so important for them to get married, I think that made it very, very relatable for everybody. Well, I mean, that was... That was tactical, you know, that was, that that, that was, you know, that was something, or strategic, I should say, that was something that was that was a narrative that was essentially planned to counteract that stereotype um, by ga- it, by it, the gay know, community, really by, by the the marriage community who wanted to paint a picture that we were normal, really that we were just like everyone else. So that was just so totally to self conscious. I mean, I don't. Well, I, and I don't say that in, in you know like it was negative or malicious because but it, it was, was a, a strategy message to send. So it's it a, strategy. Was a strategy, and it was something that some activists say suppressed other messages in the movement. Um, if you think about after marriage equality, we've had so many anti-LGBT bills or religious freedom bills that have been put up in, in legislatures across the country. Mm-hmm. We've had more murders of transgender women of color in you know 2015 than ever. Really, um, and we have about the same number of transgender murders this year that we did for all of 2014, I believe. So, you know, despite the fact that we got marriage equality, I think that that set off a whole firestorm of other things that may Ah. have affected our most marginalized groups. You mean like backlash? Exactly. So, you know, we have the, you know, the, the, the white lesbians, gays, that have been, you know, kind of pushed as the front of this marriage equality movement who don't necessarily see all the backlash of the queer and trans people of color as a result of that movement. Hmm. Um, And now the two sides are kind of seeing more eye to eye. And it's through things Hmm. like Orlando or things like, you know, Jennifer Gutierrez is somebody I talked to and interviewed who interrupted the White House last summer. Um, It's because of all of this action from all of these different, mostly trans and queer people of color that are really at the intersections and really fighting for these different things across the country. Um, Is there still... ignored because of marriage equality. Huh, that's interesting. No, I'm not aware of that. I'm not aware of that, see? But um, I was also wondering, is there still a lot of violence against gays? I mean, I remember, of course, gays being attacked and, you know, just for being gay and all that. But does that still happen? Like, I don't see it. If I can, you know, I'm, I just wrote a report about uh, violence against LGBT people. And the report from the National Coalition of Anti-Violence Projects just came out this past week. 
um, or actually two weeks ago. It came out a couple of days after the Orlando tragedy. Um, and you would be surprised that, you know, violence is perpetuated on LGBT people, you know, nearly every day um, in this country and around the world, particularly. Well, our- around the world, I get that. But in this country, there's still absolutely, like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here in New York, here where we consider ourselves to be in this very liberal, free, no hate bubble, it mm-hmm. still happens. So do you. And we can't. Go ahead. I was just going to ask you, I mean, I want to understand, like, um, I was wondering if you could give us a few of maybe your, if you wouldn't, if you would, you know, some of your own personal experiences so that we could maybe understand um, more intimately or directly. As far as, as you know, have you been threatened? Have you been discriminated? Like, you're a obviously intelligent, white-spoken, handsome, um, and not flamboyant gay man. So do you have any stories oh, that you can share? In certain spaces, I'm not a flamboyant gay man, but trust me, there are many people that will hear that and TT, as we say, because I can definitely be a flamboyant gay man. Well, I'm not saying you can't. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> but, you can pull it out. <laughs> but, um, so I, I, personally, yeah. you know, it's hard for me to quantify, like, one experience of, of anti-LGBT hate or anti-black hate, because sometimes I can't tell which is one versus oh, the other. Oh, interesting. Um, and, you know, <laughs> which which thing are Which thing are they hating on you? <laughs> Sometimes, you never know. You never know. You never know. Um, you know, I remember there was, you know, as, living as an LGBT, living as an LGBT person, for me, living as a, as a gay, queer-identified black man, I never know when I'm going to feel certain things about the world around me. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I was standing outside earlier today and, you know, thinking about this interview, thinking about Orlando, thinking about the fact that New York City Pride is this, this weekend and it's going to be the biggest festival ever. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, my God, I hope nothing happens. Ah. I hope that nobody's planning something, ah. you know. Right. And then I thought, well, I'm going to be at a party that's a few blocks away from the parade, you know, so hopefully I'll be safe. Wow. And it's like, do, do straight people have that feeling? You know, I'm thinking about that. Um, you know, like I could see if I was in a crowd, I might, mm-hmm. I might, I mean, being in a crowd or near a crowd of any sort is sort of threatening a lot. Of, I mean, for anybody um, well, nowadays. That's something, you know, to the point of, you know, what your, your gay male friends might notice or, or mm-hmm. understand that you might not. Mm-hmm. Have you ever hesitated to hold your husband's hand? No, and kiss your husband? no, no. Except I he doesn't still, really love it. He doesn't like PDA, doesn't like but it. no. I wish he did I, more, but yeah, no, not because of society. But yeah, how do you feel about that? Yeah. I still rarely will hold my partner's hand in public. Um, really? I don't yeah. kiss him in public unless it's a gay space that I know is a gay space. Um, you know, occasionally we might sneak one, one or the other, but I remember I was dating somebody before him and we kissed on the subway and it was like four years ago. And like, I couldn't help but to be like, oh my God, who just saw that? Mm. And think like, am I going to have to worry about my, you know, getting home? Ah, you mean you're worried, like, what are you, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of a dirty look or people saying something or hurting you? Or I mean, or is it just self-consciousness? You know, I've been called a queer or a faggot or all these things more times than I can count. It's not the words. It's the fear that the words are prelude to action Mm. because you never know. 
You never know. Just like you never know when the cat calling will lead to rape. You never right. know when the the faggot or the nigger is going to lead to you being strung up on a tree. Right. It's threatening. Well, it's, it's like being cat called as a woman. I mean, um, mm-hmm. exactly. But, um, you know, it's really funny because I am not, I, I mean, I've heard it a little bit and I'm glad to hear, hear it from, I'm glad to be reminded about it because I do think it's good that we're, we all people on this planet are aware of what happens to each other. And um, I'm not aware of gay men or, I mean, just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that you would ever get hassled, but you do. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. See, I would absolutely. never think I mean, that. I would never I had think a, that. A, a friend on my Facebook page got a gun pointed at his head. A Get couple up. Of days ago. Where? For being, you know, this was in Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I don't want to paint the picture that these things just happen in the Midwest or they just happen in the no. South. No, no. They, they happen here. There was a, a hate crime in Philadelphia. Um, mm-hmm. that one of the people is still trying to get mm-hmm. um, released for. Mm. Um, so LGBT anti-hate happens, and it's not just violence. Right. You know, talking about the point in the media, erasure is violent for many people. Right. So when we're thinking about the fact that for the first couple of days, news outlets and politicians didn't want to talk about the fact that this was a gay club on Latino night, that's violent to people. That I idea see. that our identity is not even important enough to be mentioned. Right. I think violent. that's what I was responding to as well. That's what I yeah. noticed. But like, say, um, you know, women um, get catcalled all the time. Are, are you aware? Are you aware of that? I mean, just, just curious. I, okay, so, you know, I, I see it and I hear from my female friends about it all the time. I have some really, really vocal female friends that, that do point out misogyny and patriarchy and all this forms, and I love mm-hmm. it because it's really, really educational for me as mm-hmm. a man who has still been socialized as a man um, to see how that mm-hmm. thinking has been penetrated to me, to use the word, um, and, you know, how that misogynistic and patriarchal thinking can affect how I perceive the world. So yeah. I see it, but I see it personally, too. I live in Flatbush, Brooklyn, and mm-hmm. you know, just yesterday, there was this girl just trying to walk down the street, and dude was just hollering at her, talking to her. Hey, can I talk to you? Hey, can I get a smile? I just don't be a friend, blah, 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 blah. And the girl was just trying to get wherever she was trying to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely still happens. Mm-hmm. It happens, you know, but whether it's happening on the street in Brooklyn or it's happening, you know, in a club uptown and, you know, or, you know, somewhere in the Lower East Side, like, it. it these things happen more often than we're, we're admitting. And I think that, again, listening, you know, listening to these other experiences and not just going on what we think or perceive has been the experience is, is how we understand. Yeah. Well, I also identity. think there's a lot of things that go on. Like if you're in a group of gay guys um, mm-hmm. just hanging on the street and somebody harasses you, I'm not going to, I just probably don't see it. You know what I mean? I'm mm-hmm. probably not in that neighborhood or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that, and that, you know, like a guy that could cat call or say something really disgusting to you on the street. I mean, not everybody's going to, it's between you and them. Yeah. So a lot of that stuff, I think just by nature goes unnoticed. How was um, your childhood as far as coming out? Did you, you probably, did you know you were gay as a teenager and all that? And 
Um, I came out relatively early, but, you know, coming out is not like you open, you know, I, they say, yes, it's, it's opening a door, but it's opening a series of doors in a long hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coming out is something that you're still doing. I still do it at 33 years old. Um, you because know, not people... It's like, oh, yeah, I'm gay, but it's like, hey, here's something, a nuance that you might not understand. Um, and I have this nuance because of this experience. Um, because, you, you mean, know, people I, assume you're straight? Is that why? No, 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 no. I don't think people assume that I'm straight. I mm-hmm. think that people, because I don't hang out always in all gay spaces, mm-hmm. um, people tend to gloss over the fact that I am gay and right. still approach a situation or, and, you know, things as, as though it, it's all straight people. Like, what it's do you like, mean? Give me an example. That's a good example. Like, so it's like when you go to a wedding mm-hmm. and it's like you go to a wedding and they, and, you know, it's a wedding for somebody that you don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might take, uh, I might not take a man. I might take a friend. Oh, really? a, female. A, male, a female friend. Really? Because that's still a thing. Yeah, I've wow. had people tell me that they were worried about how it would be perceived at their wedding. Wow. Um, wow. So, yeah. So I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. And this is within the last five years. Does that make you angry? Yeah. That must be so infuriating. It, it, I've, I've learned to process the anger in a different way. <laughs> but it, it does. Because it, it, it makes me realize that, you know, people still see me differently, right? People still see me and see right. my experience differently. And not only that, they're more worried about perceptions on the other's perspective than my own or how I may feel right. alienated or rejected. So it makes me question the friendship. So it makes, them, um, it makes you feel like they're embarrassed of you, say. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. But so I go to this wedding and I'm walking around with my, you know, my friend who's the, you know, usually I have one friend that I go out with and she's a queer black woman. So we mm-hmm. kind of do, do this together. And, you know, the, you just get the questions that you're like, oh, so how long have you been together? You know, well, <laughs> hilarious. Well, this expectation that we are a couple because we came as a man and a woman to a straight wedding. Mm. Um, and then we, you know, we do, we're like, oh no, we're just friends. And they say, oh, well, you know, are you seeing anyone? I mean, it's just automatically because we're so programmed in that environment to think of man and woman, man and wife, Mm. married couples, you know, why would a straight, you know, why would a gay man bring a gay woman to a wedding? Like, because heteronormativity says I have to, you know? So it's, it's, some of the, it's those instances. And sometimes they're so nuanced that it takes so much backstory to explain why it's a thing that it's just not worth explaining. So that's right. why I save it for my black gay male friends. I just be like, girl, let me tell you what happened to this bitch. And then I don't have to give the pretext. They know. Then they get it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that, I mean, I guess we all, ha- we all have some of that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, be- yeah. Because, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, if I have issues about um, being a female at work, I'm obviously going to talk to a female. Mm-hmm. But um, those but those issues are much more outspoken. Do you, I mean, there's a whole, like, the feminist movement. The feminist movement, um, I don't think, has done nearly as well as the gay movement. 
I mean, I think yeah. that I don't think they have made the um, strides that the gay movement has. Gay gays are, have gotten a lot more um, accepted in society, and um, you know, than than I think women in a in a lot of ways. Women are still in the same place they were when I was a kid, as far as I can tell, in a lot of ways. And a lot of women say that too. See, we got to get on it. That's interesting because I would think that, wow, like I feel like from the perspective of women, you know, from like my grandmother who, you know, worked in like as a a cleaning lady and then worked for an electric company as a janitor. And then my mom who started to work more professional jobs. And then some of my, you know, my female nieces and nephews and cousins who've gone on to get degrees and get education, things like that. I feel like women have come a lot, but I'm not a woman. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a frame of reference. I only have what I see and what people tell me, and that's that's kind of the crux of what we're really getting at. Is right. That, you know, from hearing that, now I want to talk to more women and be like, sometimes, sometimes actually, this is okay. So this is going to sound really racist, um, but sometimes I actually think that um, women of color, in certain instances, just I. I, I have this theory, this is my theory, that in, um, let's say in a work, just for, just for example, in a work situation where the white males are in charge, that women who are somewhat attractive um, but not flirtatious are at the biggest disadvantage. The women who are either older or maybe just really matronly or something like that... Um, aren't are 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 not it the men don't feel like they have to have their approval in the same way mm-hmm. or dominate them i should say i think this is my theory i think men um a lot of straight men straight white men in a corporate setting um are not comfortable unless a woman who would be potential sexual partner for them. Um, and I don't even just in a status way, I don't mean like literally, um, it needs, they need to feel dominant to that woman. Like that, that woman either flirts with them or desires them sexually or feels like looks up to them. And sometimes I think if you're like maybe black, if you're black or a person of color, that maybe it's easier for a white man to treat you with more respect because he's not thinking about whether you're a sexual conquest. I know that sounds really horrible in a lot of ways. I would challenge you to talk to black women about that assertion because from, I mean, I obviously don't have any, you know, I'm not a black woman. Yeah. Um, But I think that if you go, you know, if you look at how society has tended to hypersexualize black women, as opposed to preserve the chastity mm. and femininity and purity of white women, I would disagree with that just based on that alone. But I'm not a woman. So That's interesting. You know, I think about the black women like that I have um, had encountered at, like in my situation. I'll tell you something. I'm I'm hesitant to say this on the phone. I mean, say this on. Oh, the air. The, the air. <laughs> but one of the biggest problems I ever had at work was with a lesbian woman, a really politically aggressive woman 
who really did a lot of damage to me. So I, yeah, you know. Um, and I guess my experience with a lot of the black women that I've worked with or had, you know, seen working in different thing, different capacities always have, you know, I give them a lot of extra credit because I know that their road is hard and I see how strong they are. I think there are a lot of really incredible black women because especially because a lot of them are, you know, the way black society is. I'm, we're ta- Oh my God, I'm going to get killed here. No, but you know what I mean. You know, I'm talking about a stereotype of black woman that mm-hmm. I admire too. So let's just. Well, and that's the, you know, that's another, that kind of trope. And then, you know, we have four minutes left. So I know. I don't see have your... time to get in, in, No, no, that, we don't. No, we don't. I think it, it is interesting that we have, you know, black women come in all different shapes, sizes, varieties, attitude right. type, personality type. And, you know, I think that there's, there are traits of women, just like there are traits of men, that are more apt to the corporate environment. Mm-hmm. But I think specifically that women have expectations on them in the corporate environment, not unlike some gay men have in the corporate environment right. that men don't have. And consequently, when you're a person of color and have that additional minority um, label on you, then there are different expectations. Because corporate America was built for straight white men. For sure. I mean, that's something we all can agree on. We all have these roles that we're expected to play. I mean, I've been told in the workplace that I have to cut my nails. My nails are too long because I'm a man. That I can't wear my hair a certain way. I have to have more hair. I have long hair. I'm bald now, but back then. Wow. 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 And, you know, I couldn't wear my hair out. I couldn't wear my hair natural. My hair always had to be pulled back to the place because that was... Well, they do notice what you look like, don't they? They're paying attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's so many rules. No, I know. I know. That's what we're... That's what we're... That's what we're basically, I think... Or you and I can totally agree on is that there's just too many fucking rules in general. There's too many rules, and they're not made by us. Like yeah. the rules are made to control, control us. us. Right? But we didn't make those rules. Yeah, so we need to break the fucking rules. Yeah, we don't want to be controlled. We don't want to be yeah. controlled. We're both our own con- best control freaks. I think. Right? You're a little Absolutely. bit controlling that's, too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> so anyway, um, I love that you had this chat with me. I feel I feel illumin- that you helped illuminate a lot of things that I was thinking about, and I really appreciate that. Um, and I want to give a shout out to your show again, uh, Queer State of Mind. And when is when is it on again? I'm tr- looking for that yes, desperately. We are live every Saturday from 12 to 2 on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, follow us there. You can also follow us on radioqueerminded.com if you miss our shows, if you were out partying the night before. Um, but we have a good time. It's so much fun. We talk about important shit and get drunk and, you know, also keep doing it. So awesome. Well, thanks a lot, and I want to remind everybody, thanks come to me. my party at Tradesman, my, my Selfie Fest, um, on July 7th from 7 to 9 p.m. Um, and, uh, yeah, don't miss it. That's what I'm saying. Do not miss it. So, anyway, um, this has been Dr. Lisa from Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit at Radio Free Brooklyn, which is the best radio station in the Western Hemisphere, bar bar none. So thank you so much for listening, and um, I'll see you again next week. I'm also re- I'm also replaying on uh, uh, Sundays at.